0: colleague matthew
1: hello and special guest
0: and special guest matthew
1: it's rare that i'm a special guest on the onyx pathcast or special anything on the onyx pathcast special pain in the ass special you do that's a song you know or kind of but yeah yeah it's it's good to be back i wasn't here last week of course for your uh, utterly entertaining interview
0: hmm it was very Uh, fun
1: Yes, yes. Uh, I am so happy with what Start Playing are doing. The I'm not just from the Onyx Path perspective. I always love that people are finding new ways of gaming together. I and I remember the first time I went to a games convention, and because I I suppose my experience of role playing had largely just been attending a gaming club. There were three tables, three groups met every Sunday and you played a different game alternating every other week. Uh so uh, my first game was Hercules and Xena, one week D&D the next and so it went That's on to and one Zena, of the- amazing. Uh it, it wasn't. Uh but it was my <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't actually a bad game as written it just wasn't terribly well run. Um but I remember first hearing about the UK Games Expo which is coming up as of time of recording. It was its first year, in fact, and I thought, oh, I've got to go there. And I went and quite... I was quite amazed with the sheer range of games that were available, the sheer number of players that were out there. Uh, I was seeing games on sale that I'd never seen before. Uh, I got to play in games with people I didn't know already. uh, And online gaming and of course start playing as an excellent venue for it uh just opens that up even further so uh, not that we need to i guess rehash last week's episode but i thought it was it was incredibly entertaining and insightful and it's great that people are finding new ways to play
0: yeah you know i'm gonna this is not about start playing but you're talking about how you originally started playing games and Um, I was a little spoiled in that I started playing actively in college. I played a little bit in high school with like a Mm. couple of my friends, but I started to actively get engaged with groups of people in college. And our college had a like gaming club. Yeah. And I ran across, I actually wound up like in a biology class with somebody who uh, had was friends with other people and she noticed that like, I think she noticed that I had like some anime stuff at my desk and she was sitting next to me and she was like, Oh, do you like anime? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, Oh, I've got friends. And then that's how I met everybody. (laughs) It always starts with anime. Um, Well,
1: for me, it was video games. It was was D and (laughs) D video games. And yeah, someone at my college noticing me looking at a website, related to them, uh, to one of the Baldur's Gate games, I guess, and saying, um, we have a club for people like us.
0: I see what you're doing.
1: Oh, it was a creepy encounter. I've recounted it on here before, but uh, I was in the in the college library, and all of a sudden this looming figure was behind me. His hand uh sort of slapped onto the back of mine uh, as I was operating the mouse and he started steering the mouse leaned over me and started typing in a website <laughs> which was i think tsr.com or something like oh that my right God. and yeah it wasn't exactly the most wholesome introduction to to was, tabletop role playing games mine
0: was far more wholesome because <laughs> Essentially, I I wound up having lunch with those folks, and I found out that they actually were doing a uh, Vampire the Masquerade LARP Mm. uh, on Friday nights, which they invited me to. Um, And I was very excited because I had only ever played Vampire the Masquerade once before, and it was a very weird it was weird. I don't know if I've ever talked about it before. Maybe not today, because uh, it's a little bit of a story. But it, it, let's just say it was weird.
1: I um, think most people's first vampire game tends to be it's certainly nothing like what was on the page.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I was like, oh yeah, this sounds great, and so I went to their game, and then I found out that like, oh, there's this whole club, and they uh, they had people playing D and D, and they had people playing uh, all sorts of stuff, and I. Kind of fell in with that group, and I ran my first Exalted game there. I played uh, in my first alternative game there. Oh um, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I played in. Like I got exposed to a lot of different games, and so it was, it was cool. Um, but I was spoiled for games because there were you know twenty people in this group, and I could just. Be like, hey, who wants to run a game of this dumb thing I picked up at the game store? And they, yeah, let's do it. Sounds great. And we always had free time. My my husband, actually, that's where I met him. And he lived in an on-campus apartment with three of uh, other of our friends. And their apartment was essentially like the hangout spot. And so everybody would, from like 8 a.m. in the morning until... Mm five a.m. in the morning like there was very little sleeping time for them yeah but people would just be there and so you just go over knock come in um and so there'd be like five people in the room you'd be like hey who wants to play a game and it would just happen Mm. so uh it was it was very different for me coming out of that now I'm like how do I find people to play games with
1: it's not college
0: anymore I don't have infinite time
1: (laughs) Well, and that, that is an ongoing problem.
0: Right, it? and and then I was like, oh, start playing. Holy crap, I could, I could meet new people.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I know it's something I always hammer on about. It is the perfect venue to run a game that's new to you as the yeah. story guide, GM, storyteller, what have you uh i i know listeners are probably very tired of hearing me say it but i think it's a very valuable thing to take on board that as long as you advertise your game as being new to you and that you are looking for new players and that you are all going to learn the game together then by declaring that up front you're setting a i guess low uh barrier for entry Absolutely. Uh, but but also an expectation that this is going to be light-hearted it, there's not going to be any demands on you to be deeply immersive and know all of the rules up front this is a session where all of you learn together and I, when i think back to some of my favorite gaming sessions of the many many that i have participated in often it's the start of games, before everything goes wrong, uh, when when obviously everything holds its greatest potential, when you are first learning, when you're first creating characters, when you're first looking at a power and thinking, wow, I can't wait to use that. Right. And I really do think Start Playing can live up to its name uh, for people who haven't had a chance to role play before, but are looking at online groups and thinking you know i don't want to plunge myself into a group of people i don't know because they're all going to be experts they will have been doing this for years well just say up front that you're new and you want to learn with other new people and you would be amazed how successful that could be
0: yeah i mean i'm not sure that people who've never played a game before are our target target audience
1: No, no, but but uh, it can still work. It can still work for
0: them. I I think that for me, like there are games I've never played before that I don't know that I could get. uh, You know, I said this last week. I don't know that I could get my normal. I'm putting like you can't see me putting giant air quotes on normal game group. Uh, (laughs) But the people that will play games with me, I can only get them to play a certain kind of game with me. Yeah. And uh so if I want to play one of the, you know, an indie game that has more esoteric rules, I may go to start playing and be like, okay, maybe I'll run this for new people and they'll like I can actually get players.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: As opposed to, you know, saying like, hey, who wants to play, you know, this weird rap battle game with me and everybody's like, what?
1: It's something I was, uh, explaining to some of my Patreon folks over on Discord, uh, just the other day, it was how, because I was in this gaming club where a game would usually last six months or longer of mm-hmm. every other week it would be running, mm. and so there was a rather limited number of games you would get to play in a year. And they tended to be fairly traditional. I mean, this was the late 90s, early 2000s. The indie boom, if it could be said to be such, didn't really exist at that point in the way we know it now. And so there was an awful lot of D20. There was obviously other big games like Shadowrun and maybe a little Spycraft and things like that. But there was it was all fairly mainstreamy. And I had been picking up every now and then, going to gaming stores or or online, uh, and buying games that I never had a chance to run or play, and so I was just reading them. And so when I'd go to conventions like the UK Games Expo, I would uh, sign up to run games. I wouldn't go as uh, as a customer, I would go as a GM, and somehow i had the energy back in my youth to oh. run six or seven games over the course of the weekend oh my because God. doing so with the uk games expo i don't know if it's the same now but doing so back then, if you ran a certain number of hours of entertainment, essentially, you would qualify for free accommodation, free food, if I recall, and maybe something else that was free, maybe a discount or something. Oh. But, oh, a free a free entry. Uh, and so, yeah, so you could stay at this convention for free. And for me, the big appeal of going to this convention wasn't to do the shopping it was a chance to run all these games that i never normally had a chance to run and because i didn't have a laptop or a tablet back then in the olden days i would be going up there hauling seven hardback books because (laughs) people with half a brain cell would think okay well i'm going to pick a game out run the same scenario seven times for seven different groups and qualify for free accommodation But I would go up with the most obscure games and have to learn seven different rule sets, create characters for seven different games, write seven different scenarios, because for some reason I always felt like, well, I can't run a pre-written scenario because people will have already played it.
0: And 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 you want to try out as many games as possible.
1: Yeah, yeah. uh, You're
0: doing seven different games, and they're all in the old you know, the traditional 85 by 11 form factor.
1: Yep, yep. And so, yeah, I would would do that. And the first couple of years I did this, I remember feeling so elated by the end of the weekend. I was just really on cloud nine, thought, this is great. This is the kind of role-playing I I want to do. I didn't feel at all tired. It was just energizing. Mm -hmm. And then I think I had a break for a couple of years, came back in my mid 20s and uh, did another batch of seven games and i was pretty much falling asleep running the seventh one i was running mummy the curse first edition not an indictment on mummy at all <laughs> i love that game uh, but this was on a sunday afternoon i've been running games since friday afternoon and as i was running it i was i, I remember starting off and it's always bad to start off with an apology but I remember apologizing to the group and saying something like, um, sorry, I'm not really feeling very with it today. i um, we think, uh, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll play the game. But I'm sure all of you are very tired after the convention, you know, putting my problems on there. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I can't remember a damn thing about the scenario, even though I wrote, wrote it. Uh, I just okay. cannot remember a thing about it. And that's the last time I've done such a... Hefty batch of uh, of games at a convention
0: yeah when you realize oh. you're not 19 anymore
1: no the <laughs> the point at which you start it readily replenishing energy it's a, it's a sad moment it's the same as when you realize oh i can't memorize all these rules anymore uh-huh Where, when i used to read D D things like the player's handbook And I would be reading tables and feats and magic spells. I would be reading them like they were fiction. You know, prose, I would be reading them from top to bottom, taking it all in so that when I came to run or play, I could just have immediate recall of, okay, well, this spell does this damage and has this range or whatever. And then at some point my brain broke, and now I can't retain anything (laughs) without writing it down something like 10 times for myself in different ways.
0: Oh my god, that's amazing. I mean, not in like a good way either. <laughs> like,
1: yeah. Well, I think that's the reason I, and I think almost every role player has this with at least one game. In my anecdotal findings, they dedicated themselves to almost studying one, at least one game to learn it inside and out. And that led to a saturation point. <laughs> Because I had that with Vampire, uh, as I think most people know, you know, up to a point, I guess, my knowledge of Vampire the Masquerade was ridiculous. And that helped me a lot with things like Beckett's Jihad Diary and working on V5. Uh, Otherwise, it's a very limited skill set to have a a literal encyclopedia of Vampire the Masquerade in your head. But for at least a couple of projects, that came in very handy.
0: So... Uh, I, I, you overestimate my uh, my dedication to this hobby. Uh, <laughs> to say that every uh, <laughs> everybody does that, but I will say that my husband, um, I don't talk about him much on like in places, but um, he was actually running that Vampire the Masquerade game that I uh, joined back mm. in college, and for a long time, all of his friends called him White Wolf Boy.
1: Uh, because
0: (laughs) not in like not all the time that wasn't like a nickname or anything but that if something came up that was a white wolf product uh, he he owned it and he knew it Mm. Uh, it, it, you know there was a there's a limit to that and there was a a certain point where I'm sure he's forgotten all that stored knowledge that he had Um, but he absolutely read every book top to bottom and retained all that information um, just like you're describing. I, on the other hand, uh, have read probably three game books from top to bottom had before I started working on game books. Now I develop them. I read the whole game book top to bottom when I develop it. And then again and again and again. Um, But before I started working in games, I had probably read, one maybe two game books from top to bottom. Um, oh wow! I I absorb best through being told. Okay. Uh, so listening, and so I would just get people to tell me what the rules were. Mm-hmm. And then I it, and then I would then I knew the rules, uh, which meant that if they told me wrong, <laughs> I would have to then go look up. Yeah. My specific rules or my specific setting thing to say, oh, okay, this is this is actually how it works. Um but I would not read books from cover to cover. I didn't own gaming books. Uh my friends owned them and I borrowed them because I was poor and I couldn't afford to buy them. Yeah. Uh so I would only read the per the parts pertinent to me. Um I, not that I, you know, spent a lot of time playing games wrong or anything like that, but I just only read the parts that I needed to, um, and and discarded all the rest.
1: That is, I know this is going to sound very. I don't know if it would sound pretentious, but it's a very pure way of playing, in, in a sense, because the the idea of, I guess getting bogged down in a lot of a game's lore and i love lore in most games but there is the risk that you can become so or i guess ingest so much of it that you have a preconception of what the game you're about to play should contain or what your character can do Mm-hmm. Uh, I know we we often go to World of Darkness games as an example of this, but it's typical among groups where you're playing Vampire and there's a few people who are quite happy to pick up the Ventry, the Bruja and the Torridor, and one person wants to play a true Bruja who's secretly hiding as a whatever. And, and that person tends to be the individual who has read every single book and wants something a little more exotic, with a little more flair. <laughs> because yeah. they become jaded to the the standard seven options
0: i i'm so glad that he's asleep right now because weston would be like i am offended that you're calling it
1: it's always the true bruja he loves
0: the true bruja like, <laughs> well
1: <laughs> so the, so. the reason yeah, the reason is it's because they're cool and cold and cal- calculating you know he really just I'm,
0: likes temporis
1: Oh, well, yeah, nothing says vampire more than time travel. Right. <laughs> I, I, I would um, hazard a guess that as we're now 20 minutes into this topic, we stick with this topic and record our intended topic uh, on another uh, occasion, maybe later this week, and now, then we'll have a whole bank of episodes. You, so you think we
0: should just keep talking about how... <laughs> How deep dive you can be in a game? Well,
1: no, no. Well, uh, introductions to role playing games, I think, is a good topic. We haven't covered in a long time, and especially not with yourself. Um, But I think that yeah, twenty minutes in, we listeners, we've done some reviewing of our behaviour here on the Onyx Pathcast, and sometimes we will, we won't just go off the tangent. We'll just never off on a tangent. We'll just never. find our main course uh, at all, and we'll just stay on a tangent, ramble around a bit, fall into an endless pit, and uh, that's basically your episode. Now, that can be disappointing if you have an expectation <laughs> of what this episode is going to contain. True. So instead... What we will be doing in the middle of this episode, or right now, is say, hey, this is the topic, there never was an original topic, and if it just so happens that that topic appears in another episode, well, maybe, maybe you will need none the wiser, other than the fact that I just said it.
0: I mean, you literally just said it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it could be a double bluff.
0: Double blind. Yeah. I don't know what's going on anymore. <laughs> Okay, well, since you're our special guest uh, for this episode.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm eminently qualified.
0: (laughs) Eminently qualified into introductions to gaming. Yeah. uh, Since that's our topic for this week, and it was never anything different.
1: Exactly. uh, Because
0: I'm pretty sure the topic that we might have covered is probably already been shared with everyone. If we're going to talk about introductions to gaming, I think that we should also talk about some of our, like... The things that kept us, the things that, you know, you were introduced to gaming through these gaming clubs. Yeah. Uh, I'm assuming that these are like your, your local, uh, like, friendly local game store, kind of? No,
1: well, my city didn't have a friendly local game store. It had a... Uh, that There was a a social club is probably the Ooh, best term for okay. it that had a hall a community hall attached to it and it was rented out every sunday night to this gaming group and if you look it up it might still exist it for, because gaming groups especially in the uk always gave themselves awful acronyms oh it yeah. was called swat which was south wiltshire adventurers in time So swate But SWAT is how they would uh, style themselves, because, of course, when you think of a role-playing game group, you think of a SWAT team. And the funny thing was, I never played a time travel game with them. Or a SWAT game. But anyway, SWAT, which was the South Wiltshire Adventurers in Time, uh, had been running for several decades before I uh, crashed the party. And I was playing with them for probably something like two or three years before I broke out of that. And that was mostly through moving house uh, and just going to another city where there was a much more thriving gaming scene uh, where there was actually gaming stores. I think they had three in Norwich where I was living at the time. And so yeah that that like going to the UK Games Expo just before then was very eye opening for me So
0: really quickly the the name of the town that you grew up in was South
1: Wiltshire <laughs> no, no no I, I uh, grew up in a town Called Salisbury which I know you've oh, visited
0: Salisbury yeah 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 uh, So what is South Wiltshire?
1: South Wiltshire well Wiltshire is the county In which uh, Salisbury can be found oh. And uh, South Wiltshire Is the compass Part of, uh, of Wiltshire uh, where Salisbury is um, so, But that's the thing If they weren't for Salisbury adventurers in time They be what sate or sat Sat isn't terribly evocative, and maybe by saying South Wiltshire they thought they would uh, appeal to a broader base. They'd say, "Hey, it's not just Salisbury gamers. If people live outside of Salisbury, uh, nice, they can come yeah. too."
0: Yeah, that's like, I, I, I was like, I'm, I'm certain I visited you in in Salisbury, and you told me you grew up there when I was there, and so yeah, and so you you kept saying South Wiltshire and I was like, I'm maybe I'm the wrong one. <laughs>
1: No, no. I've done a circuitous uh, path of my life. I've lived in several places, but all roads led back to Salisbury, and so that is where I now remain.
0: I've I've moved in what what could be described as a ladle. A ladle. A ladle. Yes. I started on the southeast coast in South Alabama. Then mm-hmm. I moved to Louisiana, which is to the west, and then I moved to Dallas, Texas, further west. Yeah, uh, and then back south and east of that to Houston, and now to Austin. And so it's kind of like a little U shape of cities in in Texas, but otherwise it was a straight line west. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, you're hitting all the uh, the Texan uh, hits, aren't you? The, the yeah, big cities.
0: Yeah. Well, I haven't lived in San Antonio or no, like Lubbock, but uh, those cities don't count. Uh, so,
1: <laughs> I'm sure there's some sports fans out there that would disagree for some reason that I wouldn't understand.
0: I, no.
1: <laughs> um. So, so what about you then? Uh, you started off in college. And how did your gaming journey progress from there?
0: Well, you know, I I think I, well, I really started in high school. So oh, yes, like yes. I said, I played a couple of games of, of different things in high school with my, you know, then friends um, mm-hmm. who were also gamers. And, uh, you know, we played a little bit of D&D, second, you know, AD&D. Um, and we played a little Vampire the Masquerade. Um, revised and we (laughs) I guess we will tell that story
1: (laughs) yeah go go for it we now have time
0: (laughs) see if you see if
1: you can tie it into anything we do as a company on path
0: um (laughs) oh we'll see okay the gauntlet has
1: been thrown down
0: yeah so I was a freshman in high school and I had met these people like pretty early in the fall semester um who were in band. So I was in, in band and band is a conglomeration of all grades. So they were not freshmen along with me. Um, they were sophomores and juniors and seniors and they had all met in band and they were all hanging out together and they were interesting people. So I was hanging out with them and they invited me to a game and I had never heard of it before. Um, I had but I had seen like my brothers play D&D which I was never allowed to play because I was a girl. So I was like, "Okay, I would like to play this thing." So I went to one of their houses and they were playing Vampire the Masquerade and I got told by the person who was running it, whose name I can't even remember because it's been that long. Um I won't say how long, but it's been that long. Uh, <laughs> so he tells me, you know, there's these different clans. And you, you know, you you essentially you pick a clan and you get some powers based off of it. And he was like, you should just play a brouhaha. And I was like, oh, OK, why? And he's like, because they're bitches.
1: Oh, OK.
0: <laughs> and, and I was like are you, are you saying that I'm a bitch? Like and he was like I think you'll like it. And like this guy knew nothing about me. Like we yeah. didn't end, like that week. I, I don't know where that came from, but that was my introduction to gaming. Um Wow. And, <laughs> and so I was like okay, so they made me a bruha. Um I did uh I did end up reading through some of the book uh while I was there um and fell in love with the Malkavians and uh wrote up a I, I still have this little notebook where I wrote up a Malkavian uh character that I never wound up playing but I had like a whole backstory for her and a character sheet and and everything in this little notebook um I was so very excited and I never got to play her, um, but the oh, that's tragic, yeah. But the first game that I played in essentially, uh, I think at the time, LARP rules didn't exist for like the the laws of the night uh, stuff hadn't been published yet because this was like nineteen ninety six. Oh, there I went and told you how long ago it was. Yeah, yeah, that was before
1: <laughs> I got into it.
0: <laughs> so uh, I'm so they were playing with the tabletop book and like handfuls of dice that they would just carry around with them because this was a, a LARP style game it was stand up talk to each other walk around move to different parts of the house mm-hmm. and if something happened that we needed to roll for then we would roll our handful of dice on the yeah but floor. everyone
1: drops to the floor <laughs> yes most ridiculous part of that but yes yes <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so, the first game I went to was mostly just kind of social stuff, and that was fine. And then the next game I went to, they were doing, like, a a potluck, like, feast thing. Mm. um, And only, like, one character had the eat food merit. <laughs> <laughs> so, we had to, like pretend that like, cause you could still eat food in the game and you'd like vomit it up like an hour later. So essentially we, you know, we all sat and we ate food and then we went and role played. And then like an hour later, everybody had to like excuse themselves from the scene. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then that game ended abruptly, I think in the third session when, uh, it turned out that one of the people that we thought was an ally was actually a werewolf in disguise and attacked us. There's
1: always someone in disguise at a LARP.
0: <laughs> and it was a like a werewolf, like an like written up from the werewolf material. <laughs> like yeah, werewolf and like our little you know baby vampires couldn't deal with a werewolf, so we all died. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and you know that was during the big satanic panic. Hubbub, yeah. uh, Which my mom didn't buy into completely, uh, but she definitely was not comfortable with me going and playing a game about vampires with a bunch of seniors while I was a freshman. Yeah. Uh, So well, I
1: can understand that.
0: You know, in retrospect, I also understand that, but she forbid me from hanging out with these people, which I was like, they're band nerds. Like, <laughs> we're all outcasts here, like they're not, yeah. like the, they're not the cool kids. So, we're not doing drugs, we're not drinking alcohol, we're just playing a dumb game. Uh, I, in retrospect, I understand my mother's concern. Um, but I wound up there, uh, so wow. So, one of the girl's younger brothers were twins, were my age. And so I started spending more time with them
1: Mm -hmm.
0: uh, and becoming friends with them so that I could use them as an excuse to go hang out with my older friends. (laughs) (laughs) So when you forbid your children to do things, they will find a way to do it anyway. You should work with your children and be open and receptive to what they want to do. Figure out ways to not forbid them, but set healthy boundaries. Uh, that's my Uh, lesson for today Um. well
1: I mean it does seem uh, LARP breeds horror stories Um, Uh. (laughs) but I um, I remember when I so another story that I've told but one that I guess came back slightly in a massive wave of nostalgia in terms of introductions Uh. I, I was hugely into Masquerade obviously yeah. And I picked up Requiem. I pre ordered it because, uh, in the city I then lived in, there was a gaming store. And uh, there was an- so much anticipation for mm. the World of Darkness core, mm. uh, as it was, and Requiem that you had to place pre orders. And they had a massive pair of uh, stacks of blue and red books in the store. And there was a queue leading outside the store for them. It's something that I imagine most gamers today, and I know it makes me sound very dated, can't fathom that a gaming store would have a queue that stretches to the end of the block, essentially, (laughs) of role players wanting to pick up their copies of uh, World of Darkness and Vampire the Requiem and i uh i remember picking mine up and going to the nearest department store a place called debenhams which is now out of business in the uk but uh so is that gaming store mm-hmm. and i was sat in that debenhams cafe uh area for the rest of that day i just i went down i think on a saturday morning and picked this book up and then for the entirety of the rest of that Saturday, I was sat in that cafe just ordering teas and um, pretty dire food and just sitting there reading it and reading it until I got through the entire thing. Mm. And it was it was just a completely different mood, a completely different level of um, enthusiasm, I suppose. But then we got to the Onyx Path era and I was seeing the Chronicles of Darkness core books coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, obviously, I think Requiem 2nd, so Blood and Smoke, What? correct me if I'm wrong, was that under still White Wolf CCP? Yes. Yes. Uh, I think it may have been. Um, yes, but... but- Yeah, uh, but I had been so hyped up uh, for all of these games, for Forsaken, for Awakening, for Promethean. I remember having my Wealth of Forsaken dog tags because I pre-ordered that. And uh, and so when, um, even though by this point I was more or less working for Onyx Path on a freelance basis, um, when those core books came out, again, I picked them up. And I remember just sitting down, because it wasn't that long ago, you know, it was about 10 Mm -hmm. years, uh, and just enjoying them, just reading them. And while I can't claim to have been able to retain as much of the content in one go like I did with Requiem First Edition, uh, because I was considerably younger, and uh, my brain hadn't been fried at that point... Right uh i still enjoyed the experience of reading those books and it's something that i think we 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 rarely credit our fans customers role players readers for i know rich spoke about it in the blog a few months back about how some people just buy our books to read them yeah and it's one of those motivating principles for me as a game designer that these books need to be enjoyable to read they can't just be dry encyclopedias of tech of of references yes uh they they need to actually have flavor but finding the line and this is all this is the biggest challenge for me as a game designer is finding the line between how much i guess lore how much flavor text do we give in balance to mechanical heft. Um, Because there's, equally, we have a lot of people who don't care about all of that stuff. They just want a workable system that they can use at their game table.
0: You know, um, speaking as somebody who only reads the pertinent parts of the book, or at least used to, um, I think adding flavor to mechanics. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think, I will tell my story in a moment, but I think, like, the Requiem book, and the, the, you know, the Chronicles of Darkness books, I think they really did such a good job of including, like, a little bit of setting material of where a power, like, you know, how a power is used.
1: Yeah, and yeah. And then the
0: system afterwards, because I read all of that when I'm reading the power to get context. And so you learn a lot about the setting when a... Power has evocative flavor text hmm. um, that's a
1: really good, really good uh, thought, I think it's uh, I agree
0: so for the people who do turn to the mechanics and read the mechanics, if the the flavor text kind of sets the setting and and makes it evocative and kind of reinforces you know the idea of what you're doing in this game or why you would be using this power in this game, then. Like, I think that's a good place to kind of think about, okay, the, you know, the setting stuff, the lore stuff needs to be evocative because anybody who's reading it needs to enjoy reading it. That's the the prose of the book. But then the, the mechanics also need to be evocative. Like they need to be flavorful and interesting because even if that's all somebody's reading, They should get a takeaway from that that says, ah, I understand why these mechanics work this way in this game setting. Yeah. And that's my like mechanics inform what you do with the game. And like they inform setting, but also setting informs mechanics. So, like, I I think that the two things can be married in the mechanics section in a way that if that's all you read, you would still have a good understanding of what the game is about.
1: It's uh, something I think we do well with Scion and They Came From.
0: I think so uh,
1: too, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm very pleased with how we've managed it with They Came From so much. Uh, we always went for, and have been, uh, we're still going for, uh, flavour text preceding cinematics where word count yeah. allows. I think the tragedy is often where word count is tight, it is often that flavour text that, is, that gets lost <sighs> quickest. Uh at least from in my perspective and i I don't think that is anyone's fault it's just sometimes as developers as editors we end up having to make sacrifices from our books and we have to look at well, what what here is usable and sometimes you have to make the hard choice to say well that is really evocative text but that evocative text will probably be read once by the reader by the person who's purchased this book.
0: And then they'll skip right to the power. Yeah. Exactly.
1: The power underneath it is what they will keep going back to again and again. So obviously this conversation has deformed somewhat, but I I, but I think it's a really interesting one because as players getting into gaming, it's something I would love the listeners who are with us so far. If you can comment on the blog or in the Onyx Path Discord or wherever you might find us, to tell us not only the good old story of what got you into gaming and specifically if you can what was your first onyx path book that's a that's a question i would love to hear you answer Mm -hmm. Uh, but also what do you look for first in a book what what is the information you gravitate toward are you someone who reads a book from beginning to end are you someone who skips the fiction are you someone who goes straight to the powers straight to the playable classes or splats as we often call them internally uh it's that's something that is really interesting to me and I'm sure to a lot of us at Onyx Path and in the RPG industry in general yeah because it informs not only how we lay these books out but where we place emphasis and yeah where where I guess we are more generous with word count uh, of course i i anticipate uh at- <laughs> if people do provide this feedback it will be all over the damn place and so we won't be able to make an informed decision but it's still really interesting to read
0: it's interesting and it's interesting to know you know are there two kind of people the people who read everything from back to front and the people who jump straight to the powers or Mm. are there five types of people right yeah so it is interesting in that regard um, so back to our original, how we got into things. So, you know, you were talking about remembering Requiem mm. and while you were talking about that. I remembered my introduction to Requiem, which was, so I was a member of what is now known as the, the MES and the, the mess, uh, cause it is a
1: <laughs> appropriately
0: appropriately. <laughs> I'll, I'll just say that, <laughs> um, I, a, a U- U.S. based, uh, though uh, they had international members, um, LARP organization dedicated to running White Wolf and Chronicles of Darkness games, mm. and uh, the at the time that Requiem was coming out, we had gone through playing through the Urifier plotline. So we so while what CCP was putting mm-hmm. out Year of Fire books, we were running through a plot line that, and we did it for a year that brought an end to our very long chronicle uh, of the the masquerade, and we were and, and not just the masquerade, but apocalypse, uh, dreaming. Ascension, everything all went through a year fire. And then we were going to pick up, starting with the new Chronicles of Darkness stuff. And, you know, Requiem was the first one that came out. And so we were all very excited to see Requiem, yeah, and um, just the like the two, the blue book and the red book uh, was already a unique, you know, like, oh, here are the rules, and then here are the vampire rules. Like here's this interesting way to present things
1: Mm. so that
0: was that was in its own way interesting but i remember being at uh my husband not at the time i don't even were we dating at the time i don't even think we were dating i was just we had a flirtation uh
1: we'll call (laughs) it that
0: we'll call it that i was at his house and we were uh Reading through the Requiem book together, uh, trying to decide what kind of characters we wanted to play. Yeah. Um, And I just honestly really like that is like a core memory for me as far as like the first time I actively engaged in sitting down with a book to read it. Yeah. Yeah. Even though I wasn't reading it from cover to cover, I was actively like, let me read all the character types. Let me read, you know, what their abilities are. How is this different from what came before? Um, so, so yeah, that the excitement of getting a new edition. Yeah. Like, I know there are some people who really did not like Requiem. And to those people, I am very sorry that you have no joy in
1: your life. <laughs> it's okay you know they don't have to Uh,
0: you don't have to it's okay to be wrong
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I remember well despite being a diehard, diehard masquerade fan I remember not being disappointed in the slightest I remember obviously recognizing terms and Uh, terminology from masquerade and requiem but for me that served the purpose I think it was intended to which was to ease the transition yeah Uh, it didn't offend me I know plenty of people that did uh, which has obviously that the autopsy of that particular case has been gone over many many times I don't think there's much of a cadaver left but (laughs) It's interesting that how to create a character, or what kind of character do I want to play, is such a strong motivating force for me as a role player that it is something I feel I, and not just myself, have put an awful lot of stock in in our story path games.
0: Absolutely.
1: Uh, when i think of what really drew me into requiem first edition and i think of clan and covenant and marrying the two and realizing that any you could have any combination of these yes. essentially uh, it it opened the game up in a way that Masquerade hadn't been open for me yes. in in a lot of ways, and obviously it can be when you spend time developing a character and putting them on the page. But just having those building blocks presented up front is similar to what we do with our paths in Story Path games. And I know that for our Story Path Ultra games, I, I at least speaking for myself, I know that with the World Below, uh, the idea is to make all well every component path appealing, appealing. make every absolutely. single one of them interesting uh-huh. and so that to drop a few world below terms if you want to be a silhouette uh from telva's hearth that's absolutely fine and you will be completely different to a silhouette uh adamas from mudtown uh who believes in who is a worshiper of fortuna or whatever combination you you come up with putting those those pillars out front right is i think so integral for my taste uh it means that players don't need to really dig into the game to start getting an idea of well what can i play it means they can see it right up front oh okay wow I can assemble these in any order of dominance. I know that's not what we're going to do with every single story path game or story path ultra game, but yeah, to my taste, it is something that certainly drives my role play.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and we're, we're getting close on time, but, um, what was your first onyx path game?
1: So I'm not sure, because it could have been something as simple as the... uh, What was it? The V20 Companion or something like that? Uh, That may have been White Wolf CCP as well. It could have been something that was on Kickstarter. I remember the one that I got really excited about um, was one of the Chronicles of Darkness games. I'm now looking on my shelf, as you can tell from my, my head turning, I think it could have been Promethean. I I'm pretty sure Promethean was Onyx Path, second edition.
0: Second edition, yes.
1: And obviously I had worked for Onyx Path around the time Promethean second edition came out. Uh but I was such a huge fan of Promethean and first edition and I was always I've always been one of these Advocates for games of you know personal discovery and try and defenders of it really isn't that hard to get a game together or or justify why these people would flock together. It really isn't. Look at yourselves. You're all outcasts too. You're hanging around together. So why wouldn't you do that as created? Um, that that tends to put people off somehow. It's almost like you're insulting them,
0: yeah, right. <laughs>
1: conferring them to Frankenstein. But. Um, I remember when Promethean the Creative was coming out, I was really excited to see what was in the book. And when it came out, I was so pleased with what was in the book. Um, now, Scion 2nd edition, uh, likewise, I remember much like uh, Requiem, Scion 1st edition was a big deal in our friendly local gaming store it was another one that uh people had to pre-order scion hero uh, Mm -hmm. as it was back then the the first book and the uh and when i read it and realized oh okay this is a familiar system of course because it was still d10 dice pools and Of course, being a World of Darkness Chronicles of Darkness player, I looked at it and started thinking, okay, so how can I start blending this with the worlds and characters I know? Because I realized the people I played with most commonly would perhaps chafe against an urban fantasy game. And so I started thinking, okay, so is it possible to put vampires and werewolves and mages in this as supporting characters, as background characters, without saying this is the World of Darkness, for instance? And, yeah, again, so that, that, I guess, thrill of excitement, that idea that there's going to be a new edition of Scion, this game I really enjoyed in the 2000s, and I haven't played for several years. Onyx Path own it now. So that means a new edition's coming out. And then it came out, and it is uh, Origin Hero, uh, just such beautiful book. The... It isn't just the art, although I'm a big fan of it. It is the level of detail that the book, that each book contains, uh, and the fact that you have these tiers of play. You can you can play your street level. I know that's the the phrase thrown around a lot these days. You can play your street level character, or you can play someone who is manipulating fate and basically using godly powers. An early Level, You know, you are still a Justice Society rather than a Justice League. Uh, and that's probably a bad comparison because I know Justice ah. Society is Captain Marvel in or whatever. But anyway, not Captain Marvel, I'm really screwing things up. Um, what's uh, Which one's Billy Batson? Is he Captain Marvel? Or is he just...
0: Man, I don't know. The
1: one that says Shazam. There was oh, a movie was that... out just now.
0: Literally, yes. Captain Marvel or Shazam.
1: Yeah, I don't know which one the Marvel character is then. Brie Larson's one.
0: Uh, also Captain Marvel.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not, I don't keep up to date with superhero movies, I'm afraid. But anyway, anyway. Uh, what about you? Uh, because obviously you'd been, you were freelancing uh, as well uh, when Onyx Path started releasing these books.
0: Right. So I worked on the God Machine Chronicle. Mm. I was trying to look at, I was trying to go through my, I keep all the documents of everything I've ever written on, and for some reason I can't find my, like, I I just can't find those for the God Machine Chronicle. Hmm. Um, Specifically, like, the God Machine ate them, which is (laughs) weird.
1: But Um, but also to type, you know, that is the kind of thing the God Machine would do. Make you start doubting Um, that you ever worked on it.
0: Yeah, there it is. Okay, uh I I found it. Uh it was GMC. That's why I couldn't find it. God. I'm sure nah. I
1: um
0: I like worked SWAT. on that uh yeah, like sweat. <laughs>
1: <laughs> sweat.
0: sweat. <laughs> uh, a a,
1: pro, a good name for an RPG group of yeah. the uh, late 90s.
0: Yeah, I worked on that in uh 2012. So that was my first Onyx Path product that I worked on. The first Onyx Path product that I purchased and read was Mummy the Curse First Edition. Uh, we backed that on Kickstarter. Yeah. And uh, very excited for it. It uh, was it was a very cool. Uh, very sleek looking game,
1: I, I think I must be I must have been incorrect then, but you carry on, sorry, sorry
0: what what were you incorrect about?
1: I think mine was mummy as well because I remember watching the videos recorded from Gen Con where the panel were discussing mummy, yep, and eagerly anticipating it based just on. On the previews, because I wasn't going to Gen Con back then. But I remember thinking, oh, this this game's going to be great. This is completely different. And yeah, I backed it on Kickstarter as well. But sorry, yeah. do continue.
0: No, no, it's fine. I had to go, I had to double check when that, whether that was the first game or um, something else. But yeah, that was, that was it. And I'm and I would have been Exalted 3rd Edition, but I missed that Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. So, we didn't pick up Exalted Third Edition until it was out on uh, POD. Yeah. So, you know, 10 years later. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I joke. I joke. Uh, But yeah, that so Mummy the Curse, uh, First Edition, that was my first Chronicles of Darkness product that I purchased and read. Um, I think I read some of the other books before that, but they weren't, it was because I was working on them. Not because yeah. I had purchased them and read them, because um, I worked on Demon the Descent uh, also, and so yeah, I I was that was my first uh, foray back into writing because I wrote for Mage the Awakening uh, first edition back when it was with Onyx Path, uh, sorry back with CCP. Yeah. White Wolf CCP. And I did two books for that. And then CCP was like, "We're done with books." <laughs> uh, and I was like, "Oh, I just broke into the freelancing industry. And now the one place that was hiring me is no longer making books.
1: all my all these riches denied to me.
0: Yes, all these hundreds of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> uh, i tried I wrote some short stories. I tried to pitch them around. Nothing came of that. I wrote a Nano Remo uh finished it literally have not looked at it since because it was so god-awful
1: oh yeah it's often for the best with nanorimo well yeah i i I definitely remember um scion was the the line or the product that made me think well made made me first realize i guess onyx path was a player on the stage and the, the uh, the the prospect of it, and bear in mind, I'd started writing for Onyx Path in 2012, so this was before. Um, this was that was on the Pentex guide, mm, yeah, or yeah. whatever it was, the Book of the Worm, and then I was on Sothos Ascends for Mummy the Curse by 2013, I think. I think that's how it worked. It may have been 2013, 2014, but regardless, it my eye was always on Scion as a fan. Mm-hmm. And yeah, then when it came out, it made me think. Oh well, you know, Onyx Path have certainly landed now.
0: <laughs> you're, um, you're freelancing for them, being like, I well, I guess I'm working in the right place.
1: <laughs> well, you know, uh, <laughs> and and yet I never worked on Scion. Um,
0: I feel like I never worked on Scion.
1: I think I, I think I may. I my name is going to be in some Scion books. Yeah. Uh, I think I did some work on the live action role play one as an editor maybe. Uh but but who knows who knows that could have been someone else my my work often gets confused with another editors by the name of Reginald. So anyway, we we should we should We're wrap it up. Minutes,
0: so yeah. Gotta, let's,
1: let's wrap it up here.
0: Got to do the the outro. Um so remember as as listeners engage with us tell us uh where you first started gaming and what was your first onyx path product and where do you start reading in a game book
1: mm. and
0: matthew if people want to in- inform you of those things where can they find you
1: I suggest going on the Onyx Path Discord and posting in our Onyx Pathcast channel. I mean, you could inform me personally via MatthewDawkins.com or on Twitter at MP, but I would prefer that you use the Onyx Path Discord. How about you, Danielle?
0: Uh, similarly, I think you should use the Onyx Path Discord. Um, I will check the Pathcast uh, channel if you want to throw things there. And otherwise, uh, you could bother me uh, in you know, personally, uh, by going to daniellelozon.com uh, or find me on Twitter. But if you find me on Twitter and send me like a DM or something, one, I'm not sure you can unless we follow like we're mutuals, and two, I almost never look at Twitter. Uh, but you can find me at impernius uh, on Twitter. Otherwise, I think this is us, and it so. Is. As always stuff. as always. Uh many worlds one